Celtics Reddit podcast. My name is Ben Vallis. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. Today on the show, we're joined by Tom Westerholm, sports writer for Boston.com and host of the Geno Time podcast. Tom came on to discuss the Celtics moves at the trade deadline, as well as his background and how he got into sports journalism. And he answered some questions from the lovely people of Celtics Reddit. All right, we're here with Tom Westerholm, sports writer for Boston.com and host of the very excellent Geno Time podcast. Tom, welcome, man. How's things? Uh, Things are great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Oh, very, very happy to have you. Um, before we get into the hoops talk and everything, tell us a little bit about yourself, Tom. Um, where are you from originally and how did you get into sports writing for the Celtics? <laughs> so I have kind of a kind of a circuitous uh, sports writing story. I, I started working in Iowa. Um, I'm, I'm originally from there, so middle of the country. Um, ended up uh, doing kind of a lot of blogging um, while, while I was doing uh, journalism school in college or taking journalism classes in college. And uh, just real, always, always was a big basketball guy. So I ended up, uh, I ended up writing um, for Jay King's uh, blog, Celtics Town. Um, Jay was working for Mass Live at the time. He helped me get a job there as a high school writer uh, after I graduated college. So just kind of uh, worked my way up from there. So I, I moved, moved my myself and my wife halfway across the country for a uh, uh, for for a part time job, and uh, you know, just uh, bet on myself, I guess. So uh, that's that's where we ended up. Before that's, uh, b- that's I had so many questions for you, Tom, about your your upbringing, and then right before this, uh, Ben sent me a link to your, the podcast you did on anything spotable. So I just oh, yeah. so now, I feel like I know you, I yeah, know everything about you. But I, I, was, <laughs> we, I was we did our research. <laughs> well, listen, man, anytime you guys want to talk about hardcore bands and any of that stuff, I, I got it. Was, you, it was so. great to hear that story. Uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> but I was curious. Um, you had mentioned that your your dad was a Celtic fan growing up on that one. I was just curious, like how how much of a Celtic fan were you? I think you mentioned you also cover you know you followed the timberwolves growing up and just yeah wondering about that yeah i mean it's funny i mean i did grow up a celtics fan um and it's it's really bizarre like it's it's not even something you try to to like lose necessarily when you become a beat writer it just kind of is like you just don't like wins and losses are you know like it, it's just kind of is what it is like it, it's a very strange uh very strange experience but yeah like i i grew up a celtics fan i also you know kind of cheered for the timberwolves um but um, yeah, I like, I, I just kind of followed all my dad's teams. So I was a big Cubs fan. I was a big Celtics fan and, uh, he was a UConn grad. So I was a, I was a UConn fan for college teams. So yeah, it was, uh, it, it was, it's very strange to be kind of covering the team that I cheered for growing up, but then, you know, not a fan anymore, if that makes sense. Yeah. So to what extent are you still a fan of the team? Like I imagine professionally you have to shift to somewhat of a neutral focus, but you know, having grown up a Celtics fan, I'm sure that's, that's still instilled within you somewhere. So how do you, how do you manage that professionally? You know, it, it's really weird, man. I, I honestly, like I, I'm, I am not a fan anymore. Like, and it's, it's not like, you know, I don't cheer against them by any stretch of the imagination. It's just like, you know, you're um, you know, like, it's just kind of, you're just kind of like evaluating them, you know, and like, sure. it's, it's kind of, it becomes kind of a cold thing and it's, and it's interesting, you know, it's still fascinating. And I, I, I like, I like covering the Celtics because I've, you know, I, I grew up watching them. And so I, I sort of have this base of knowledge of Antoine Walker and, you know, of like Paul Pierce and, and everything there. Um, you know, I have this base of knowledge of the 2008 championship team and all of that, but um, in terms of, you know, cheering or not cheering for them. Yeah. It's just, I'm, you know, 
I, I just, I just don't, you know, I, I like a lot of the guys individually, like, like I'll be cheering for Javante green in Chicago, you know, cause I, cause I, I like him as a person. Um, but you know, that's, that's a, kind of a, I think a very different thing um, than necessarily cheering for the team, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, before we get into the Celtics stuff, just quickly on like your role as a journalist um, in the NBA, like post COVID and post bubble, like what's it been like going back to the arena with like no one there or like the protocols you've still got to follow, you know, with the pandemic still going on? Yeah, it's strange, man. Um, you know, I, I have, I have a three-year-old at home, so I, I kind of enjoy when I'm able to go to the games just because, you know, like I can uh, get a lot of stuff done. Um, but the, uh, you know, like the, the games themselves are, are, are strange. Like they're, it, it's, it's fun to watch a basketball game in person. So, so it's cool to, to watch, but at the same time, it's just very, very different. I mean, you know, I, I've been to most of the NBA arenas and, and you know, boss, like the, the TD garden is up there with any of them in terms of atmosphere. It's, it's, you know, probably it's like, if it's not number one, it's, it's top three. Um, so it's, it's very strange to watch games in TD garden with just absolutely no atmosphere whatsoever. And I, you know, I mean, I have to imagine that the players feel that, and that's, you know, something that has affected them because it, it, it it's a big difference. It is a very, very different way um, to watch a basketball game. I imagine that a lot of your job is kind of like sidling up the players and like, you know, getting to know yep. them. How are you able to really build any kind of relationships with, you know, how are you building a relationship with our new players right now when you can't really do that? I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah honestly, you can't. Um, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, it feels like sort of, uh, you know, almost an arrested development thing, right? Where it's just like, I, I can't, um, you know, I, I can't talk to these guys. And when, you know, once, once arenas and, and locker rooms open back up, like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'll certainly be, uh, you know, sitting down with Aaron Neesmith and, and, you know, Pritchard and, and all those guys. And, you know, you try to develop a relationship, develop a rapport, you know, kind of get, um, you know, try to make, make it something where if you have a question of them, you know, they'll, they'll be able to open up to you and that kind of thing. But as of right now, it's just, I mean, these zoom calls are very, very strange ways to cover a team. Cause um, you know, you're, you're just kind of like shouting out questions, but like, it's all very controlled. It's, it's, it's very different. Kind of um, like this so, podcast. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hundred percent. It, you know, it's wild. You know, you, obviously I've got, you know, my, my podcast, the Geno time podcast, but like Nicole and I have never recorded, we started right when the pandemic started up. So we've never recorded a, a, a podcast in person. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a new era in uh, in a lot of different ways here, but it's, it's definitely been, it's tough for journalists because I mean, and I mean, I don't want to be like, you know, poor me or, you know, pity us, the poor sports journalists, but like it is, it is tough because we, part of what's fun is, is getting a chance to talk to people one-on-one and obviously we haven't been able to do that. So. Moving on just to talk about the trade deadline side of things. So you wrote an article on boston.com recently, five things you need to know about Evan Fournier, which covered a lot. And it's a great summary for anyone who's looking to learn more about the new acquisition. Um, He was acquired for technically four second round picks at the end of the day, when you factor in the moves made to get under the tax. Um, What do you think the play is here for the Celtics and the Fournier signing? Like, do you think, do you get a sense that the Celtics actually think they can sign him long term? Yeah, I think that's, I, I don't think they would have made this move if they didn't feel like they could, um, you know, do that. I think what the Celtics, and this is, this here is just guesswork, um, you know, from what I can tell, but I, I think, I think what the Celtics are trying to do is basically they've kind of created like three pathways for themselves, right? Where they can either, either Fournier comes in and fixes a lot of things and all of a sudden they're really, really good. And I don't know how likely that is, but like, that's one certainly, um, cause he's a good player. Or, you know, they give themselves future flexibility to where they can, um, you know, make a, you know, make kind of a, 
a move that, that sort of shifts their core or, or whatever it might be, but they sort of have more depth now because they just have like better players on the team. Um, you know, like he just gives them more depth of good players, which like just wasn't something they had, you know, they had, they, you know, they had their, their, your Jalen, your Jason, your smart, your Kemba and you know, what else? So Fournier gives you another guy there and, and that matters. Um, you know, if you're trying to make a bigger move or if you're like, if this all kind of comes apart, then it doesn't matter anyway. Right. Like if things kind of fall apart for this team, then you went out and you traded for a guy who's, you know, a good player, but you didn't give up any of your first round picks and you still have all of your future flexibility in that way. That to me, I think is, is kind of the justification for him now. Yeah. It's, they're going to be in a lot of, they're going to have some really complicated cap problems going forward. It's, uh, it's going to be really tough to, to navigate, but I think those three kind of those three kind of avenues are a, a decent starting point. And, and like you said, I mean, they, they acquired a 20 point per game scorer for mainly second round picks. I mean, that's, that's not nothing like that is you, you got a good player. And, and I, I think that, I think at the end of the day that just, I mean, we've watched, we've all watched this team, like just getting a good player matters right now. The, uh, the news totally. today, I guess with uh, him in the health and safety protocol was a pretty big bummer i'm i has it had it on your end have you heard any clarity whether or not it's just uh, contract taste tracing or is he going to miss the next two weeks do we know yet i don't think we know yet yeah and and it's it's tough because the celtics i mean they are very very locked down about that stuff which is a little strange to me i mean i i i'm not 100 percent certain why it you know everything is like so hidden when it comes to like was it contact tracing or, or was it a positive test but yeah we at this stage we we don't know yeah. Um, Tom, this is a question from user uh, Opus Spike from the subreddit. Uh, did the front office really cover and pursue him? This is Fournier. Or is it just more the kind of opportunity that presented itself that they went after? Yeah. I mean, I think that the, the Celtics obviously like, like Fournier is a good player. So I think that they like that he was certainly like is a target. And I, I think obviously they'd been talking to Orlando, you know, I mean, like everybody had been talking to Orlando, the Orlando was having a fire sale. Um, my impression is that, you know, that, that he was definitely somebody that um, was very much on their radar. Obviously, we got like a bunch of reports about it, uh, you know, beforehand. We got a bunch of, uh, you know, like like a bunch of like Aaron Gordon and Evan Fournier, that type of thing. I think there was a lot of I think there was a lot of smoke. I think Fournier was definitely a high level target for them. I think they would have been happy if Aaron Gordon would have only costed, you know, a first round pick in Aaron Neesmith. Obviously that didn't happen, but I do think that like Fournier was somebody that they were very interested in and, and certainly made a lot of, uh, you know, just kind of made a lot of logical sense too, when, when you kind of break things down. Yeah, sure. So you kind of touched on it earlier, Tom, but we are a little, or the team is a little hamstrung with the cap situation now. It almost seems uncharacteristic of our front office to, to get themselves in this position like they've always sort of been typically one of the more competent front offices in the league what do you think the plan is to kind of get out of this situation and do you think maybe Kemba Walker is on the move in the offseason to, to help us relieve some of that those cap issues yeah I can't speak to this from like a you know from like an I've talked to somebody perspective um, sure know, of course not talking about Kemba here but like it certainly seems like they have to explore that you know I don't know if they'll be able to pull it off but like uh, the, like the money that they've got right now is really tough. And I, I know, you know, Marcus Smart is a good point guard, right? Like, like if he, um, you know, if, if he's not taking too many shots, if he's taking smart shots within the offense, then he's a really good point guard. So um, I do think they're going to have to explore that um, just even from like a log jam perspective, like what's the closing lineup right now? You know, you can't play Kemba, Marcus, Jalen, Jason, Fournier, but like, 
those are your five best players. So if you can't play your five best players in crunch time, that's kind of a complicated thing. So um, I do think that they'll probably have to look at that in the off season. Um, and, you know, I think when you, when you talk about like the front office getting itself into a tough situation here, some of that was done for them by, you know, Al Horford, uh, Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward, Terry Rozier, Marcus, you know, like you just go down the list, like the amount of talent that they've lost is crazy. So that's a big part of it. It's just, you lose that much talent and you're going to find if to, to try to make yourself a good team again, you're going to find yourself in a tough spot, I think. I think the the balance between addition by subtraction and then just straight up subtraction, we've, we're teetering on the edge there for a while. There is like, okay, maybe we're actually getting better by you know clearing out the roster. But on, yeah. on that note, I guess the other part of that was, I mean, we all kind of, it sucks to lose Tice, um, you know, for, for cap purposes. Do you think that Time Lord's progression factored into that? Do you think they were like, well, this is going to clear out minutes for him? Obviously, his last game, he looked really good. What's your thoughts on uh, on that? I think that's how it should have been. I think that uh, I'm not 100% certain that that's what everybody's thinking, uh, just based on the Andre Drummond rumors, right? Like, I, I think if, if Drummond comes to Boston, I have to imagine that he's being promised a pretty big role because there's other teams where he, you know, would probably have a better chance of a, of a championship or whatever it might be. So, um, you know, Rob is a good player. I, I think we can pretty objectively say that at this point, maybe it's something maybe like the Drummond pursuit is something where they're trying to keep his minutes down and they are going to try to give him a little bit bigger a role, but they're not ready to give him, you know, the full keys to everything yet. I'm not sure. Um, but he's really good. I, I honestly think that at this point he, he keeps telling us that his hip is fine, that he feels great. Um, you know, that he, that he wants to play. So I, I, I if I were the Celtics, I would definitely just, I think it's time to roll him out there. He's, he's a really good player. I think he's the best option they have. I don't even know that I agree with Danny on this, but during his, uh, during his press conference uh, yesterday, he said that Rob's been the Celtics best defender this year, the best big defender this year. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I'm not sure I agree with that. I mean, I think Tice was really good, but um, one way or the other, I, I do think, I mean, I think it's time for Rob to get a lot of minutes. I, I don't, I personally don't see the value in Drummond at this stage. So. That was going to kind of be great. great. We <laughs> go ahead, Jackson. Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say the, the very next question was written yesterday. Um, as of now, Drummond is still a buyout candidate for the Celtics. Um, although it looks like Lakers have taken the um, the front seat in that one. There. Um, are you hearing that that is definitely the case? Is that still alive? And um, adding to that, also user um, Milovis from the subreddit. Uh, what are your thoughts on the other buyout candidates that are available to the Celtics potentially? Yeah, I mean the the other buyouts thing is, is is strange just because they obviously they have you know Cornet on the roster who they would have to waive and and uh you know they're they're trying to stay out of the luxury tax so they have to be careful there. Um, but I kind of I mean like buyouts buyouts are tough at, at, like when you're a team like the Celtics. I think when you're uh, like a straight up contender, it can make a little bit more sense to um, to maybe you know go out and try to like really get somebody who's uh, you know who like might make more of a might make more of an impact when you're the Celtics. I mean are any of these guys really going to like move the needle that much for them? Like, I, I feel like the needle mover needs to be Evan Fournier and everybody kind of coming together and being a better team. So t- to me, it's like, like you can certainly pursue other, you know, other, other buyout candidates. I mean, I don't think Luke Cornett being on the team means that the Celtics should avoid the buyout market by any means. But um, you know, I, I think that like staying under the luxury tax is important and just, like the players who are on this team are like kind of need to be what this team is at this stage, if that makes any sense. So I, I, I don't necessarily see it. I, I do. Yeah. It doesn't sound like Drummond is coming, but I think, you know, when, when you talk about him, like Rob, like it, it's more the fact that they were pursuing somebody with Rob on the roster. I think that, that was kind of strange to me. 
Um, but you know, we'll see. I think that the buyout market will probably be relatively quiet for the Celtics. Um, just ba- just based on what we know about this team in terms of how good they are and just how close they are to the luxury tax and how I'm sure they would like to stay out of the repeater if at all possible. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that because there's a bunch of you know chatter on Twitter about this. And we talked about it most recently on our podcast about um, danger cart. Who's not, you know, you, I'm sure you probably are aware of him. He was saying something about there's incentives involved and uh, you know, could impact Tatum's contract. And, and even this season we could, even without signing someone by a buyout, we could teeter over that edge uh, I've been reading your articles. I mean, you, you're crushing it on Boston.com. I'm reading everything you're reading. And one of your articles, I, w- I was wondering if you could deep dive into that at all, at all and just kind of give us some clarity if you know. Um, Honestly, I, I like Ryan is your guy for that. Um, he's much, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's much smarter than he me. Is the man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think, I think when with the repeater, the thing that you don't want to do is put yourself in the luxury tax, especially if you're the Celtics, where I, I think my impression of ownership is that they're they're willing to pay the tax like that's not a problem as long as they are fielding a contender i don't think they just want to be throwing around a ton of money for a team that like you know uh, maybe if like you know five or six things break right um you know then then it's like i don't think that's like necessarily what they're trying to do so you know like they're they're willing to pay they're willing to pay the repeater tax but on a season like this one where the celtics probably aren't contending um you know one of the things that Danny said was that he wanted to make sure that like Jalen and Jason kind of were able to keep their heads up. Like he, he felt like, you know, the guys on the team were just getting really discouraged. So he wanted to go out and make a move that would kind of get everybody to just kind of like be a little happier, be a little bit more hopeful. Um, That I think is different than spending a ton of money to like, to go over the luxury tax to try to make like the Eastern conference finals again. I think this season where you've got Brooklyn, you know, you've got, uh, you know, Embiid playing great in Philadelphia, where you've got teams in the Western Conference who are really tough. It's going to be really hard to win a championship. It's going to be really hard to get to the finals this year. This year, to me, feels like a year where you don't try to pay, you know, you try to stay out of the luxury tax to reset the repeater um, down the line. But again, I would I would very much encourage anybody who's wondering about salary cap stuff like Ryan. Ryan's the guy. Um, Sam Sheehan is the guy. Those guys are really, really good with that stuff. So mm-hmm. fair enough. <laughs> sure. Tom, I know you're pressed for time. So we're just going to race through these final two or three questions. Um, what is the trade deadline like for you? Us regular folk, we're just glued to Twitter and Reddit and we're waiting for updates that come from people like yourself. For you, like I'm not asking you to divulge your sources or anything like that, but but how does that sort of information or intel come across your desk and, and how do you determine what's legitimate and solid and reportable and, and what isn't? Yeah, I mean, I think with solid reportable stuff, it really has to come from multiple people because one of the things that happens obviously is like, you know, everybody has an agenda. Everybody has something that they would like to see happen. And it's, it can be, it can be hard to kind of parse through that stuff. And, you know, sometimes you hear it from multiple people and then it doesn't end up panning out anyway. Um, so it's, it's, it's very complex. Um, you know, obviously there's a lot of, um, you know, there, there's a lot of like phones and, and, you know, texts, uh, like, you know, coming through that you just kind of got to parse through. And honestly, like a lot of it too, is, is being on Twitter and kind of like seeing things and being like, I should reach out about that, you know, and like, and, and kind of being like, huh, interesting. Like I should, I should see if there's any, um, you know, any fire behind this smoke, um, you know, that kind of thing as well. So, and then, and then, the, but then the strangest thing about it all, right. Is that like, you do all that stuff, even like, 
and you know that when a trade happens, it's going to be one of the big boys who's out here breaking it, right? Like it's going to be, yeah. you know, it's going to be your Woj or your Shams or, or your, you know, your Chris Haynes or whoever it might be. So, uh, I mean, that that's kind of the weird balance to walk there where it's like, you know, you're definitely like you're, you're poking around, you're reaching out, you're trying to figure out what's going on. And, uh, you know, like, and, and I think a lot of it is just kind of like, okay, is there substance to this? Is this, you know, is this real? Is this fake? Is this something that I should be interested in or not? Um, is this something that I should be alerting people to or not? So, um, yeah, it's definitely, it's an, it's an interesting balance to walk for sure. And, and like I was telling you guys before we started recording, I had the wonderful experience this year of uh, my, my phone breaking on the day of trade. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Brutal. And, you know, you love to see it. But. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is a question from a user on Reddit named Fatboy858. He wants to know, Tom, Ooh, boy. <laughs> I would like to know, did the Celtics even try to get a playmaker like Lonzo, DeRozan, or even Rondo? Well, I mean, they, they got a playmaker, right? Like, they, they got Fournier. Um, you know, I think, like, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure about any of those names, to be honest with you. I, I think that, I, I think that they, were, they were having a lot of discussions with Orlando as it was. Um, and I mean, I, obviously like Fournier was very available. Um, so I, I can't, I can't speak with any certainty, um, with those guys, but I mean, I, like they definitely were looking for playmakers. Um, and you know, I, I think they got a pretty good one. I think Fournier, I think people are going to like Fournier in Boston. Um, obviously there's, there's, you know, complicated stuff with this contract and there's complicated stuff with, you know, trying to make sure that they resign him and, and all of that kind of thing. But yeah, I, I do think, uh, they certainly were um, focused on playmakers, uh, you know, to an extent. No, 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 you go, you go, please. I think Fournier is going to help quite a bit. Right, and the 13 games we get to play him after the, yeah. <laughs> after, after the two weeks where he's out for COVID. Hopefully uh, that's not exactly. true, but okay, go ahead, Jackson. Sorry. <laughs> Beg your pardon, that's okay. Uh, just last question here from uh, Zaytoven. Um, I'd like to know from someone who's been around the team how they feel Tatum and Brown's relationship is with Brad. We've all heard the shock jocks theorize that they've turned on him and whatnot. Is there any truth to that, that the relationship has changed slightly? Yeah. I mean, honestly, like I wish I could say, because we, this is something where we like during the pandemic, we just don't know if their relationship has changed. That said, I will say before, I mean, I, every conversation I've had has suggested that they have a good relationship with Brad. Um, you know, that like they respect him. I mean, he is, he is a guy who, I mean, <laughs> if there's one thing you can say about Brad Stevens, he loves basketball. He lives and breathes basketball. And honestly, like Tatum and Brown are just hellacious workers. You know, they are the kind of guys who, they, I mean, they also love basketball. You know, they, they are basketball guys. So I think there definitely has been um, in the past a, a respect there, a, you know, like a um, certainly like a, a really a good working relationship with Brad Stevens with those guys. Now this season, I like this season has been so strange and everything has been really weird. I can't speak to that right now. I don't know, but my, I don't, if I were to guess, I know those guys like, you know, liked and respected him beforehand. It seems like a, you know, a, a tough season in tough, like kind of trying circumstances. I kind of doubt that they would um, like have turned on him or something like that um, through all of this. But, you know, it's like I said, it's tough to say from zoom, man. It, it is tough to cover to like, like, you know, to cover a team via zoom. It, it's a, it's a difficult thing to try to do. Tom Westerholm, I know you've got a game uh, in 20 minutes that you've got to watch and report on. So we really appreciate your time. This was great. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. That's going to do it for this one. Thank you for joining us. Thanks to Tom Westerholm. You can find all of his stuff on boston.com and definitely check out the wonderful Geno Time podcast with Tom and Nicole Yang. We'll be back a little later this week. Until then, go Celtics. Peace. Peace.